And now that they've missed the introduction, here we go. So this is a good place to begin as we read. Verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep, which is the soft word for the death of a Christian. You remember in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said, some of you are weak and some of you are sick and some of you have fallen asleep and he didn't mean in the 11 o'clock service. He meant some of you have died because of your sin. Because God has brought um, discipline into your life. So this is that soft word. Some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as it were, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. When did he appear to Paul? On the, road to On the Damascus Road. And then again in Galatians chapter 1, he spent time with Paul. He was the best seminary professor anyone could ever have. And he spent time with Paul, teaching him and preparing him to take forth the gospel of Jesus Christ and to preach the new covenant. Verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles who am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. That's a good place to be, isn't it? Labor more than all of them. Do the very best you possibly can, but recognize even when you've done it, it's by what? Grace of God. The grace of God. Verse 11. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead. Can you believe that? Paul's writing to people among whom some are saying there isn't any resurrection. Which group did not believe in the, in the resurrection? Sadducees. Sadducees. And they were sad. You got that. Probably Pastor Roy told that one. I don't know. Verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is what? In vain. In vain. In other words, do you remember in the book of Acts, if you go through the book of Acts, they went everywhere proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you remember Paul would say things like, I am being persecuted because of, I'm preaching the resurrection. I'm on trial because I'm preaching the resurrection. Moreover, he says... We are even found to be false witnesses of God. Because we witnessed against God that He raised Christ. Whom He did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. Do you see the correlation? If we're not raised, He wasn't raised. The only way we can be assured that we will be raised is He was. And that was miraculous. He came forth from the tomb. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is absolutely, I added that, worthless. You're, it's just, there's no hope. It's worthless. And you are still in your what? Your sins, if Christ wasn't raised. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, the ones that have gone before, there's no hope for them if there isn't resurrection from the dead. If we have only hoped in Christ in this life, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. First fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, what man brought death? Adam. Adam number one. And now Adam number two, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. One Adam brought death. The other one brought life and life eternal and resurrection. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Don't take the two alls as parallel. If you did, what would you have? Universalism. Mm -hmm. That would be universalism. All died in the first Adam. All will be raised. You, if, you, if you did anything with that all and tried to make it all everybody, you would say, yeah, all will be raised, but some will be raised to what? Judgment. 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 John chapter 5 says all will be raised. Some to judgment. Some to life. Some with Him. So for us in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ, when? At His coming. At His coming. At His coming. Whatever state we are in, in the intermediate heaven, we don't get into the resurrection glorified state until He comes again. Then comes the end when He delivers up the kingdom to the God and Father when He has abolished all rule, all authority, and all power. Let's just read on a verse or two. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. Jesus right now is reigning at the right hand of the Father in the process of putting all His enemies under His feet. And yet, when, when I wake up in the morning and I watch the news in the morning and I watch a channel that tells it more clearly I think than some starts with an F I'll let you guess um, I think the world is not getting better is he really is he really putting all his enemies you see in the process of putting them under their feet seems like the enemies are getting more yes he is he's doing that and when he comes back, will be the final blow. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. And when he comes, there will be no more death. When he comes again to glorify his saints and to judge the wicked, there will be no more death. He's in the process. He's already won. Do you remember what Colossians 2 says? He is, when he nailed the, the document to the cross... He had defeated all of his enemies. They're only on a stay of execution. And 2 Peter 3 tells us why he's even allowing this time. Do you remember what 2 Peter 3 says? 
that he might bring in all of his children. All the elect. He isn't going to leave one of them out until he brings them all in. The trumpet sounds. And what happens? The dead in Christ shall rise and be with him. So the bodily resurrection of Christ is paramount. It's paramount. It was talked about in Psalm 16. And I'm going to turn there briefly if I can find Psalm 16 before the class is over. Uh, Psalm 16 in verses, I put down 8 through 11 here. Just listen to it briefly. Familiar verses to you. Psalm 16 verses 8 through 11. I have set the, the Lord continually before me, says David. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For thou, now he's speaking to whom? He's directing it towards the Lord. For thou will not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither wilt thou allow thy Holy One to see the pit. Who's the Holy One? It's the seed of David. It's the seed of Abraham. It's the Messiah. It's Christ. He will not be allowed to stay in the grave. Thou will make known to me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand are pleasures forever. So even back in the Old Testament, we have, we have a foretaste of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Turn to another psalm, Psalm 110. And I know you know this is one about the priesthood of Christ. David's writing about his seed. And in Psalm 110, the Psalm of David, he says, The Lord says to my Lord, who's his Lord? It's the one that's coming that's his seed, but it's his Lord, it's Christ. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. And that's quoted in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. The Lord is going to be at the Father's right hand until all the enemies are made a footstool for His feet and He will return triumphantly and He will reign over all. So Psalm 110 is also, if you go down a little bit further, you have the writing about the King that's coming in the verses 1 to 3 and then verse 4 and following the priesthood of Jesus Christ. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. Thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at thy right hand, and He will shatter kings in the day of His wrath. He will judge among nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, He will lift up His head. Christ is not going to remain in the pit. He will remain at the Father's right hand in the process of putting all His enemies under His feet until He returns as the King and He will reign forever and ever and ever. In Acts chapter 3, you don't need to turn there. I had mentioned this to you once before, and I just want to read it again. It ties in with what we see there in the Old Testament. In Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and following, Repent therefore and return that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, 
whom heaven must receive until the period of the restoration of what? All things. There's a time when all things will be restored. We will be restored. The creation will be restored. And even beyond. Whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from ancient time. He's coming again. And when He comes, all His enemies will be made a footstool for His feet. Hebrews 10, 11-14. The evidence of the resurrection, the, the evidences of His resurrection, we've already read them. Who saw Him? Who spoke with Him? Disciples? The women? Mary Magdalene? Women saw Him at the tomb? <coughs> He sees the disciples. He, he meets with the two men on the Emmaus Road, taking the Old Testament Scriptures and, and sitting down and giving them a wonderful theological education. He said, let's look at the Old Testament. I want to show you where I appear all the way through from Genesis to Malachi. I would love to have sat there, wouldn't you? But you know what? The, the apostles got that same briefing. Because the men on the Emmaus Road ran to them, ran back to the apostles, said, we've just seen Jesus. He's risen from the dead. And in the next thing, Jesus appears in their presence without opening a door. He's just there. And He's there in bodily form. Because He eats a fish. You remember that? Luke 24. He eats a fish. He says, look at my wounds. He talks with them. They recognize that it's Him. All of these things give evidence. And then in, even in 1 Corinthians 15, we, we, uh, in 5 to 8, 500 people saw Him on one occasion. 500 people sat with the resurrected Lord. He was on this earth for 40 days in His glorified body. I want you to turn... To that chapter of Luke 24 with me for just a moment. I want to read a couple of verses. You remember how the men responded? They're walking along and they're gloomy and sad because Jesus has just been crucified. And all of a sudden, He appears. And look at Luke 24. It came about in verse 15 that while they were conversing and discussing Jesus, and discussing, Jesus Himself approached and began traveling with them. Now that, that's an amazing thing to me, isn't it? Two men walking along, sad, that the one they thought was the Messiah and to be the King is dead. And now Jesus is walking along with them, alive. But did they get it? No. Verse 16, their eyes were prevented from recognizing Him. And He said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named, named Cleopas answered and said of him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Do you think the Lord kind of smiled? <laughs> and he said to them, uh, What things? What, what things would, they, would that be? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene who was a prophet mighty indeed in word in the sight of God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, 
Besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came and saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe, in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? What was the thing that they were missing largely from Old Testament study? That the one who was coming would have to die. They, they totally didn't get Isaiah 53. Do you remember up until Luke chapter 18, Jesus is teaching his disciples, I must go and die. And it says, this is like the fourth, fifth time he's given them lengthy discussions and Peter's telling him what? You're not going to die. I'm going to make sure you won't die. Jesus says, thanks Peter. <laughs> Big help here. He's going to die. And the Old Testament predicted his death. So he says, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, what's that? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Guess what Peter said in Acts 10? Every prophet wrote about Jesus. You know what that says to me? When you study the prophets, when you study in the Old Testament, and you look at Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, and then the minor 12, you can say all those names if you want to, starting with, um, was it Hosea? Hosea? Yeah. All those minor ones. Every Old Testament prophet, Peter says, wrote about him. Do you find him there? One of the things I like about Pastor Scott's preaching is that he looks for Christ everywhere. Have you noticed that? Christ is from Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman, all the way to Revelation 22. He was all over the Old Testament. And God give us eyes to see that. So, verse 27, And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things according to himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go further. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. Can you imagine what these men must have felt like? Sitting with him and looking at the scripture through his eyes, and seeing him everywhere. And it came about that when he had reclined at table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were what? Oh. Opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. That's pretty neat in a glorified body, don't you think? You want to get out of something quickly in your glorified body? You just go. You're gone. And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found together to, together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. 
And they began to relate the experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. Now, I don't know about you, but that could have produced stroke in me. Um, there he is. But they were, they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I, what? Myself. The glorified body is your body. I don't know what age you will be. I, I've sort of selected an age you know, that I would like, but I don't know what age we will be, but we will have a body that is glorified. Maybe we'll be about the same age as Christ's body. He would have been about what? 33. So here it is. He says, see, it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then some verses say this, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat here? I'm a little hungry. I haven't eaten in a few days. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their sight. And now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Do you know that it takes not only a study of the word of God and historical, grammatical, hermeneutical procedures, but it also takes a work of God. It takes spiritual leading and leaning. I've told some of you that when I wrote my thesis for Dallas Seminary, we, we had to write a thesis because we were a four-year school. And I was always struggling with, I'd go to a class and I'd hear this professor say this, then I'd go to this one and this professor says that, and then the third professor would say this, but it was all in the same passage, and they were different. And I'd go, okay, Lord, which one is right? Do I have to study that for myself? Do I have to get that? They didn't always agree in the same seminary. So I finally thought, okay, I'm gonna write on something that I'm wrestling with. The subject of my thesis was the Holy Spirit and reason, in other words, rational thinking in the understanding of biblical truth. When you go to understand the scriptures, don't just look at the historical grammatical method alone. Ask the Spirit of God to give you wisdom and give you insight. Because both are involved. The Spirit <coughs> opens their eyes and gives them understanding. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead in the third day. Guys, that's what I've been trying to tell you for three years. You get it? And they go, yeah. Because the Spirit is at work. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. In other words, the Holy Spirit that he pronounced, in, especially in John's Gospel, you see that? 
upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. They're witnesses. They give evidence to that. What's the nature? What's the nature of the Lord's resurrection body? Well, we've seen it, haven't we? He arose from the tomb in bodily form. He, he's now in a glorified body. He was already the eternal God, the Son, living in a body that would die, not because of his sin or because of sin. He's the one who said, Father, into thy hands I commend what? My, my spirit. I commend my spirit. Most people don't die, die that way. But Jesus commends because he's dying for us. So the nature of the glorified body is it is it begins with a body that we have in this life, but it's this body resurrected, glorified, made to live eternally, indestructible. Indestructible. A body, a body that's related to this body, however, to this DNA that we possess right now. A body that is at home on this earth. A body that can walk and talk and eat and be recognized, make a fire. Remember when he did that on the beach waiting for the disciples to come in? They see somebody on the beach and he's fishing. He's catching fish and he's roasting them. And they come in during these 40 days and what does he do? He feeds them. They have a little cookout. He can cook. He can catch fish. All of these things you can do in a glorified body. Similar yet different. Peering in the midst without opening a door and without knocking. He's there. Yes? Dwight, what is your thought about whether this body uh, will have blood? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I would think something similar, if not, but Jesus obviously. Excuse me? Jesus just said flesh and bones. Right. Yeah, he did say that. He didn't, he didn't put the blood in. We know that in this life, life is in the blood. I don't know that. Anybody have a thought on that? What was it that she said? I didn't she said, well, in the glorified body, will we have blood? Blood. Because Jesus had talked about flesh and bone. You see that. Here I am. Will there be blood? I don't know. John, did you have an answer for that? Did Jerry? Oh, I, I don't think it we want to hear John's because he and Jerry were laughing. It doesn't matter. It won't be necessary. There's no need for it. Yeah. There's no there's forgiveness, and we're all forgiven in that yeah. situation. That's true. That's true. Yes, Dan. I have a question uh, with, with the resurrection. Mm -hmm. One of the events surrounding the resurrection that Matthew 53 talks about is the saints. Well, then, I think there's read it. 28 uh, chapters in Matthew. How many, uh, what did you say? Matthew, Matthew 27, uh, starting 52 and 53. Okay. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the grave after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And the question that I was wondering, there are theologians that MacArthur is one of them because of the, were raised. He believes they had glorified bodies, didn't stay on the earth, and were uh, 
uh, yeah. ascended to heaven. And I was wondering, based on your comment that Jesus is the only one with a resurrection body, I imagine you disagree with that, and I wanted to hear your thinking on those yeah, verses. My opinion is th that I would disagree. I would think they were raised like Lazarus was raised. A resuscitation. A resuscitation. Um, I don't think that there's partly glorified saints there in heaven now. I think they're all in the same condition. That's my understanding of Scripture. But godly men can disagree on that. Me? The Dallas... When Stop. we get to Dallas, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and we're all in Dallas, is that, I know you mentioned it a few weeks ago, but I can't remember, is that where the Catholics get the purgatory thing? Uh, no, uh, no, I don't think so. That that would be a separate stopover. <laughs> that would be a stopover on the way to Dallas. Yeah, and yeah, that's about halfway to Dallas, and then they have they have to get some refining and get back on an airplane and go home. But yeah, a little different. Yes, Carol. Well, um, relating to what Dan said and about Lazarus, I remember when I was so so they were raised from the dead. And they went into the city, and Lazarus also was alive. Well, they had to die again. Like, Lazarus had to die again. He wasn't taken up to heaven. Yeah, Lazarus died again. I don't know in their case, however. You don't know about I, I would think since they were dead and they were only raised for this short period of time to give witness to the resurrection, that possibly they were just taken right out. That would be my thought. Yeah, because but I we don't know. There's nothing that tells us that. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think I oh. got something I didn't get the first time. Okay. When they were raised, they didn't have a glorified body. They were just in their regular body. So even if they were raised up, they weren't, don't have a glorified body. Is That's that what I'm thinking. Just like Lazarus came out of the tomb and lived, and then, like Carol said, died again. So those you people know. had blood. Excuse me? <laughs> obviously had blood. Yes, I would think. That's my thought. But I, I'm not going to die on that hill. I'm not going to die on that hill. I, I, put a lot, I put a lot of emphasis on the fact that there is one day of resurrection. Not two. Not three. Not four. One. And I'll try to explain that as we go here. But that's why some of the conclusions I draw is because I think the scriptures over and over talk about the day, the day, the day of the Lord, the day of resurrection. I don't see a bunch of different resurrections with glorified saints running around here in heaven and glorified saints running around in the millennium and glorified saints running around over here. I see one day of glorification and there's really only one place that's really habitable for glorified saints. It's on the glorified earth. It's here. It's Miami, but not Miami. It's Miami changed. Okay. All right. It's importance. Remember, remember 1 Corinthians 15? The reason that his resurrection is so important is because without it, we may as well forget. We have no hope for the future. We're still in our sins if he did not come forth bodily from the grave. He had to come forth bodily and overcome. The, and, and by the way, that's Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones. 
But but the connection is the connection here again is Jesus is is the picture of our resurrection, what we will be like. He was just as human as we are, except without sin. And that he was God, too. He is two in one. He is God and man, but he is fully man. And he comes forth in a fully man-glorified body. The interesting thing about Jesus Christ is when he became man, when he was born 2,000 years ago, in all of time and space, he has existed from eternity past. He will exist for eternity future. But at one time in all of this eternity, he becomes man and he will never stop being a man. When he made that decision, it was a rest of eternity decision. He is the God-man when he was born, when he died, when he arose, when he comes to reign in Revelation 22. He is the God-man. And he will always be one with us. He is the first fruits, the first fruits of our resurrection. And that's why it's so important to look at him why? and to think about him. Yes. But he was not the God man at creation. Is that correct? No, he did not have a you mean at, at the beginning of, of Genesis one? Right. No. He was not the God man. No. Okay. He appeared in the Old Testament. Right. I think there were pre incarnate appearances of Christ, several different occasions. But he was not one with us at that time. The virgin birth one of my students just wrote a paper on the virgin birth, which was very good. And uh, I won't tell, tell you who it was because it might go to his head. But uh, anyway, he wrote an excellent paper on the virgin birth and why it is so important. Because without it, we have no Savior. Without it, we have no man. He had to be like Adam, number one, in the sense that he was a man. But he had to be dissimilar from Adam, number one, and he would have no sin. So he had no earthly father. The Spirit of God in Mary's womb is the one who brought him into being. Without the virgin birth, boy, our theology goes right to, I mean, in terms of a Savior. He needed to be God, he needed to be man, and he needed to be man without sin. Which means probably that sin was passed on through the fathers, dads. You're the guys doing it. Right? That seems like what it would be. So wives, when you get upset with your husband, you can always say, you're at fault. <laughs> anyway, we better, <laughs> we better move on. Okay. The bodily resurrection of believer. It's promise. Promise back in Daniel chapter what? 12, 1 and 2. Just turn there briefly with me. Right after Ezekiel comes, Daniel Verses 1 and 2 of Daniel 12. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book of life will be rescued. That says the same exact thing as 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. That when he returns, the wicked will be judged. Great tribulation. The wicked will be judged and saints glorified. And Daniel's talking about the same thing. 
There's going to be this great period of tribulation that will come, and at that time, your people, everyone is found written in the book, will be rescued, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting, what? Contempt. Everlasting contempt. So there's coming this day. It is promise. It is a day in which believers will be resurrected. And I already mentioned Ezekiel 37, 12 to 14, the valley of the dry bones. They will come to life again. You know, in the early church and throughout the centuries, believers have primarily wanted to be buried in body, not cremated, but buried. And I'm not going to stand up here today and make a big deal about which way you might go. That sounds like my phone. Would those who are interrupting the class please I was, I was pretty sure that I had that volume turned off. Sorry. Thank you, dear. There's one in every class. She's always asking me, she always asks me, do you have your volume off? And I go, yes. Anyway, so in Ezekiel, talking about the valley of dry bones, men being raised up again. Now, New Testament verses, we could look at uh, the one in Luke 20, for one, which the Sadducees come and they're trying to trap, trap Jesus in verses 27 to 39. And they give him this long story about this woman who's married to the first brother and then he dies and then there's six more. My thought is always when I read that is, if I was number five, I don't think I'd be marrying her. But anyway, it's an illustration. Everyone that marries her dies and she's still living. And so how do they try to trap him? Whose husband will, will be her husband in the resurrection? Will it be number one, number seven, three, four? Who is it? Jesus says, in the resurrection, we will neither marry nor be given in marriage. We're not going to be bearing children. We're going to be like the angels in that sense. That doesn't mean we're going to be an angel or just like the, the angel in their nature because we're humans. Remember Genesis 1 and 2? It says God breathed into them the breath of life. He made them into His image. And when He breathed the breath of life into them, they became a living being. And He's going to make us living beings again. We're not going to be like the angels in that sense, but like the angels in the sense that there won't be procreation there. There won't be marriage as we know it now. But I would say to you that whatever your relationship is in marriage now, with two believers together, I think it will be far greater even there. Far greater. Even though we're not in the same exact pattern that we are in this life. It is promised. And Jesus says, listen, there's coming a day of resurrection. There's coming a day of resurrection where every one of His children will be raised from the dead. Look at John 5 with me briefly. 28 and 29. And we'll look over at chapter 6 as well. John 5, 28 and 29 regarding the promise of believers' resurrection. Do not marvel at this. Chapter 5, verse 28. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear His voice and shall come forth, those who did the good deeds, 
to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Judgment. Now look over at uh, chapter 6. Chapter 6 and verse 39 to 40. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me. And you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. That's, that's chapter 5. Sorry. Let me go to chapter 6. I turned the page, but I meant to turn 2. And this is the will of him who sent me that all that he has given me lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. When does he do that? The last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. He promises that. On the last day, there will be resurrection. And by the way, the last day is the last day of this age. And what age follows? The age to come. There is this age and the age to come. The dividing line is the last day of this age. And then begins the age to come. So that's the dividing line when we're resurrected. What's the relationship or what's the nature of our resurrection bodies? Just like Christ. But let's go a little further. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15 again. We're going to look at a few verses we didn't look at earlier. It's a long chapter. Look with me beginning at verse 35 in 1 Corinthians 15. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? Couldn't that be our question? You're just going to ask that. <laughs> just going to ask that. Well, I won't I won't point at you when he answers. You fool. <laughs> that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished. And to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. And there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. You ever think about this body that we live in as dishonorable? Well, in comparison, it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. I should have had this verse on my stand when I woke up this morning at 5 o'clock and couldn't get back to sleep. You know? This body gets weak, doesn't it? That's why you often hear me say, if you say, how are you doing? I'll say, good for my age. <laughs> so if you haven't heard that, that's probably what you'll get. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Oh, I skipped one verse. It is sown in dishonor, raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a pneumatica, spiritual body. 
It is, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. And as is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the earth, we shall also bear the image of heaven, of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, notice the all there too. We'll all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. If you're reading that before people, make sure you pronounce that correctly. Okay? I'll tell you that story later. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. On verse 50, that might answer the blood question yeah. that cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Right. The blood. Yeah. Could it could. Yeah. Um, because it says whatever our makeup will be, there's no more death, no more, no more sickness, no more tears over that. We will be in bodies which are glorified and won't ever pass away. For, for the rest of eternity. That's an amazing thing. That's the nature. It's continuity. It is very similar, we just read, to the body that we had. It comes forth from that. By the way, when you have that debate about should we, should we be buried in bodily form today, that's what Ann and I have decided. But we don't preach that necessarily to others if you want to go in, in the other direction. We just feel strongly, I think, from where we are that that's what we want to do. But I don't think if someone dies in a plane wreck and the plane crashes and burns and they burn to a crisp, it doesn't mean that there isn't something left over, molecules left over of them that will be made into the new resurrection body. So I don't have a verse. I don't have a... Uh, when people get into that debate, you know, should we be cremated or should we be buried? We've made our decision. You have to make yours. I can't find anything in Scripture that would say it's right to do one and wrong to do the other. You have to make, make that kind of decision. But it's continuity. It comes from this body. The seed is planted in the ground, and out of that seed comes what? Life and growth. Genesis chapter 2 says, talks about He breathed into us the 
breath of life and we became a living being and it's that living being that's going to become the new you one day. Jesus' resurrection body again is an example. There is continuity. It's necessity. If we don't if we don't rise from the dead and receive resurrection bodies, guess what? That's saying Christ didn't rise and we have no hope. Paul does the reverse thing in those early verses of chapter 15. Now the restoration of creation. I want you to turn with me to Romans 8. The restoration. We've got about five minutes to try and work this in. And let's do that. Um, the question here is, where do resurrected saints dwell for all eternity? And I would say, along with many theologians, that it's here. It's this earth. After even judgment is passed upon it, it's this earth, and it is going to be glorious far beyond all that we can think. Because the curse will be lifted. When we, when we are raised from the dead, here's what Romans 18 and following, 8, 18 and following says. For I consider, Paul says, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. What's the creation waiting for? Our glorification. Our, the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. By the way, the first fruits of the Spirit there speak of what resurrection? Internal. Romans 6. We've been raised up with Christ when He died. We died with Him. We were raised with Him. We've already had one resurrection, the first fruits of the Spirit, because we've been raised as a new man, a new creature in the inner man, awaiting, awaiting the day of redemption for the body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is, is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. That's why Paul in Hebrews chapter 9 talks about those who are eagerly awaiting the return of whom? Christ. Eagerly awaiting because of the glory that is yet to be revealed. So it's promised in the Old Testament, this new creation, the new heavens and new earth. Isaiah 65 and 66. Revelation 21 and 22. And also 2 Peter 3, 13 talks about the new heaven and the new earth. Clearly promised. Some say the new earth is a different earth. And they base it on 2 Peter 3.10 that this earth will be burned up. But the NIV translates that same Greek phrase as laid bare. Doesn't mean that it will be done away with. It, there is going to be destruction. There is going to be the wicked will be destroyed. 
in whatever way God chooses to do that. But it doesn't mean that this earth is going to be removed. In fact, if you look at other passages like Ecclesiastes 1.4 and Psalm 78, it says this earth will last forever. Ever. Now, you might say, well, how does that happen? Because the sun's going to burn out. Uh, not if we have a God that's in charge of the sun. Don't ever think that it needs to burn out. This earth can and will, I believe, what he's talking about is last forever. It's necessity. Um, I think it's, it's important that this earth be the one. So when, because Romans 8 that we just read talks about the curse being removed. And who is it who brought the curse about on this earth? It was Satan working in the garden. The curse appears in Genesis 3. In Revelation 22, it says the curse is removed when the Father and the Son come to the new earth to reign forever. God's original design restored and enhanced. Satan did not get the victory. What does it say? He's at the Father's right hand in Acts 3, awaiting the time of the restoration of all things. And I think the restoration includes the restoration especially on this earth. Christ appeared to destroy the works of the devil, John 3, 8. Uh, one, 1 John 3, 8 says, and I think that means all of the works of the devil. What was the devil trying to do? Destroy mankind, destroy the place that he lived, bring judgment upon it, but God in Christ restores it. Isaiah 25, 65, and 66 if you get time to look at those, they give you some picture of what the new heavens and new earth will be like, and it will be glorious. And we already talked about the connection of the resurrection and believers of this new creation in Romans 8. Um, now, the last thing that I have to say, I'm just going to state briefly, because our time, I think we've got about one minute, and here it is. I wrote down another little thing that's not on your outline is, when is the resurrection and how many? What I would encourage you to do, and I can give you a copy maybe next week if you'd like it. I just went to my little software computer, which has the Greek language and all of the Bible texts on it. And I printed out, and I wrote some out in hand. This is what they look like. But all of the texts dealing with the resurrection. And in almost every one of them, you will find things, or at least a large number of them, Luke 20, 35, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age, that is the age to come, and the resurrection from the dead. An hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear His voice, and shall come forth, those who did the good deeds to a, to a resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I know that He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me shall live even if he dies. Acts uh, 24.15 Having a hope in God which these men cherish themselves, but there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Philippians 3.11 In order that I may, may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So I have just outlined a lot of them, but because of a lot of those verses, it seems to me very clear that there aren't two or three. There's one. Now here's the other thing. No matter what system of eschatology you've developed, pre-mill, post-mill, a-mill, 
pre-trip, mid-trip, pan-trip, post-trip, wherever you are in the scheme, I can show you a way that with whatever scheme you have, one resurrection can fit. One resurrection can fit, and I think that's what he's teaching. We're not going to be, saints are not going to be in my mind in, in seeing the scriptures, some glorified here on this day, some glorified a thousand years later, and, and some over here seven years before the thousand years began. It seems that the scripture is saying there is one day, the day, and I think it can fit no matter what system you have. Um, you can fit that in there, and I'll show you how when I get time, and you have time. Okay, we better close. Um, Father, thank you again for our time today and for this wonderful anticipation of the resurrection to come. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We long to be with him. We long to be in glorified bodies and living with him for all eternity in the new heavens and new earth. Be with us today as we go from here. Give us great hope, great joy, great anticipation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.